What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Friday Interview Edition. And everybody, I am looking at my laptop Zoom screen at the face of Minnie Driver. Hello. (laughs) Hello, Chuck. Hi there. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm great. Uh, We'll reveal the big uh, reveal later, but I recorded yesterday uh, with Minnie for something else. And so we're old friends now, practically. That was a really great conversation. I'm not going to lie. That was it was. Uh, it was it's very fun cool. to have those these days. Yeah, I th- it is. Maybe that the whole notion of um, conversing with each other mm-hmm. in these times of separation. Um, maybe it'll be like a whole new thing. <laughs> a whole new thing. <laughs> Moving forward with a better normal, right? Yeah, I mean, is that, a, is that a description of evolution? I'm on some level, you know, moving forward so. with a with a better normal. Yeah, I mean, it sure f- feels like we've got to get slingshot into something, something else, and hopefully better. Yeah, and just to put that in context, everybody, uh, the day that we're recording is uh, the 21st of January, the day after. Uh, Joe Biden has, uh, President Joe Biden has <laughs> taken office and we stopped recording yesterday about an hour before the inauguration. And, uh, you know, I know everything is still sort of the same for now, but um, it sure feels uh, more positive to me. To me too. I found it very moving. Not JLo. I didn't find JLo moving. I found JLo like fabulous, but I found it to be extraordinarily moving. Seeing 
seeing um, Doug Emhoff holding the Bible for Kamala Harris, seeing yeah. a man holding the Bible for a woman, totally being sworn in, it it just did something for me, the little girl that I was, the mm-hmm. interested in politics person. It it felt like we really were carving a new path. So that was very exciting. Did you see her in the Senate when she had to announce her own resignation? I it was very funny. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see it. I read the op-ed that she wrote in the uh, San Francisco Chronicle, but I didn't. Why? What happened? Well, I mean, just for as far as official business, she had to resign from the Senate, and as vice president, I think had to announce the the new, uh, not the new hirings. I mean, it's not a, a Fortune 500 company, <laughs> but had to announce the new, um, like uh, Warnock and Ossoff, and then who was who was coming in, who was leaving. And she had to announce, you know, Kamala Harris uh, uh, resigns from the Senate. And then she just started cracking up and said, that was really weird. <laughs> she just got such a great smile and personality. Oh, she, like She uh, is human. It, yeah, she, she is human. She not a, she not a, a, a strange automaton. Right. <laughs> uh, she a human person. <laughs> she is human. And uh, boy, how about Lady Gaga? Wasn't that great? Oh, my gosh. You know, my boyfriend, my my boyfriend's mom, she was like, oh, and didn't you think Madonna was great? <laughs> oh, that's adorable. That was, like, that was Lady Gaga. And she was yeah, like, well, you know, boy. she was fabulous too. It was, yeah, man. I mean, that was, it was some strange, beautiful pageantry, but truly beyond President Biden and mm-hmm. Vice President Kamala Harris, the, that day belonged to Amanda Gorman. That, oh, boy. that woman is one of the most... I had the pleasure of, of hearing her. I, I, I was emceeing an event for women, a women's event, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And she she came and she, I don't know what the correct way of saying what she does, because reciting her poetry seems super formal and weird. And I'm, yeah. I'm not cool enough to sort of say that whatever the kids would say. Right. But I watched her and there is... There is something incandescent about her because she is so connected to what she is saying, uh-huh. not to the effect that it's having. I mean, as a performer, you get a pretty, you get a pretty clear nose for when someone is trying to manipulate an audience. Yeah. And that girl is just connected to something that articulates truth and beauty in a way that I've re- rarely come across. Yeah. Um, she was amazing. She was magnificent and she looked fine. I mean, it was amazing. Oh, she looked great. And just, um, I don't know when anyone starts to get down on on generations uh, to come behind them. I, I get really. I mean, it's easy to dunk on millennials and Gen Z or whatever they're calling everything, but I have great hope for the future, and I think they're they're doing it better than than Gen X did. I mean, I'm I'm a proud Gen Xer, but I don't know. We, we were pretty oh my lazy God, and I'm slightly hungover Gen Xer. <laughs> I feel a bit. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the most I did was like overpluck my eyebrows. <laughs> it feels like mm, really that's my signature like a lot of really dark red lipstick thin eyebrows and like a bad attitude i'm like watching a lot of ethan hawk movies well it seems yeah. bad oh who didn't were you goth ever no hell no okay. i had crazy hair I, I was my nickname at school was slash like i had i looked bananas i looked like a firework had exploded on my head that's like the best was, hair though I know yeah, it's, it gives and it takes. You'd it think. giveth and taketh away, but I didn't have the confidence to pull it off. Like I really, I looked like a muppet. I was called Animal. I was called uh. Slash. And there's this, <laughs> there's this hexagonal coin that we have in England called a fifty p, which is basically like fifty cents. Mm. And I was called fifty p face because <laughs> uh. I've got this. <laughs> 
this really. You have the best face. And it, well, thank you so much. I mean, you you know, you know my face, but it's it's definitely got a you know super kind of well apparently hexagonal. Um, but yeah, it, kids it was, are assholes. Yeah, kids to, kids totally are. You know, kids are awful, and but they. They give you something to push up against. I mean, if you're lucky and they don't kill you. <laughs> they give where you... was this? Where were, where were you this going This was in, um, in deepest, darkest England in the countryside at this truly amazing school that I went to that I have to say, you know, for all of the, for all of the names and the whatever, it was the, the absolute breeding ground of, of everything that I love and everything that I've been able to do in my life. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I loved my school. What was it like awesome. a performing arts school? Or? No, not at all. But it was it was very progressive. And when we were there, it, we were about seventy five percent self sufficient. So we did a lot of um, uh, taking care of the animals, taking care of the farm buildings. Oh, you would have great. what's called outdoor work as part of your curriculum. So you'd have double maths, and then you'd have outdoor work where you be on a tractor, um, setting up whatever fields were going to have crops planted in them, um, picking fruit in the summer. Um, and it's, there's this amazing pottery. So you would go and when plates and bowls were broken, you would go and make more and then you'd go and have a math class. And it was super academic, but also, um, very, very much community orientated and about teaching you about being in the world and skills other than, mathematics, reading, and science, which, of course, obviously really important, but I spent a lot of time in the fields. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. Do you still have a connection to the country and nature? And Yeah, huge, huge. I'm, um, it's, that's my, that is my church. The ocean and, uh, and being out in nature is, is pretty much everything. It's where I really like to be all of the time. Um, Clear yeah. that up. Do you like to go camping or do you like sitting on a a lovely veranda overlooking the countryside? Or I mean, I'll do, I'll do both. Okay. I mean, I love camping. <laughs> I love camping. But I really like being in bodies of water. Mm-hmm. I have, um, I was kind of famous in my family for always wearing a swimsuit under anything and everything. <laughs> yeah. And I did it. I, I got I got a call from when I, you know, first moved to Hollywood when I was in my early twenties and, you know, I was being invited to these parties and like, I got, I got a call from my agent going, you know, that party you went to, um, the lady was uh, like a little worried that you, um, you kind of cleared all of her floating votives and then dived in. But I just was <laughs> like, I could have done the party. I didn't have anything to say to anybody. I didn't really know anyone. Uh-huh. Um, I'd been introduced as Mandy Dreyfus by this guy who apparently worked for my agency. And I was like, well, you know, screw this. I'm just, and I, so I took my dress off and I folded it very neatly and I did clear the votives away. And then I dived in and I went swimming. And it was great. Good for um, you. Yeah. Did I mean, it start um, a, a pool party? Uh, no, nobody <laughs> else did. Uh, everybody looked horrified. Oh. But then I, I bought a trailer by in in, uh, in Malibu where I've lived for about 22 years um, in this mobile home park. And I surf every day, or I did, um, and swim every day. Like I'm a, I'm a big cold water swimmer. Um, it's Me too. Are you? I love cold water uh, and I'm a bit of a polar bear. So I like cold weather and cold water. I mean, I'm, I'm ready for spring and summer when it comes, but um, I'm not afraid to get in cold water at all to uh, just experience. Like I've, I've been in some very, very cold mountain lakes in Colorado when people just thought, you know, my friends and I were crazy, but 
it's uh it's exhilarating it really yeah like makes you feel so alive it definitely does it's um it's really amazing i've been watching in london we have this um this big body of water called the serpentine in the middle of hyde park and and people go in it when it's the water is is like it's two degrees when it's two degrees centigrade so it's minus whatever and Mm -hmm. you're i mean it's it's insanely cold you can go in for like 45 seconds but people come out and there's all these stories of um genuine like healing happening like physically of the heart becoming stronger and lungs becoming clearer and um i found mentally swimming because i I swim quite long distances not when it's super 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 freezing but just Mm -hmm. generally in the pacific and i never found any therapy or meditation that was better for everything than go than swimming for you know a solid mile in the pacific that's amazing have you seen my octopus teacher yeah i have yeah i have i totally get it i i get it i i'm (laughs) i'm crazy about octopuses yeah Um, me too i i really i really am crazy about them um i i could never eat one because they are they are so clever and so brilliant and the closest mm. thing that we have to an extraterrestrial yeah, totally. brain in terms of like our evolution. <laughs> yeah. um, they're, they're extraordinary. I can't believe that they only live for a year, but a year doesn't really mean anything to them. Yeah. It's just, it's just existence. Point. We can't put our human shit on them. No, we do that all the time to everything. What, um, uh, was your family creative? Like uh, how did, when did you decide you wanted to act? Was it something that you had siblings that did or parents that were into it or was it all you? You know what? I think I really do believe it was all me. According to my parents, it was all me. And it was from a very, very, very young age. Um, probably, I think I devised my first like proper show play when I was about six. And I realized, I, I very, I very immediately realized that there is something truly transactional about an audience and a mm-hmm. performer. And that clearly they were having a really good time. And I absolutely loved the creation of that good time. So it, it never felt like a job, but it, it immediately became an ambition to figure out a way of doing that as much as possible for as long mm. as possible. So like school plays and that whole deal. Yeah. All the school plays. And I mean, at the school that I went to, we had a, we had an enormous, um, like the older kids would direct the younger kids in in short plays. They would make weird short films on Super 8. So you were yeah. you were constantly kind of being like when I was, um, you know, 11 or 12, I was being directed by like 16, 15, 16 year olds. And so you were constantly making stuff. Um, and I remember one of the, my earliest memories was we were studying um, As You Like It. Mm-hmm. Um, by Shakespeare, which has the Forest of Arden in it. And we arrived for the class and the teacher said, right. And he gave us these ordnance survey maps and compasses. And he said, I'm going to put you into groups and I'd like you to go out and scout the Forest of Arden. And we're in the middle, like we're in the middle of the countryside. So we were like, oh, okay. So off we went in like groups of four to find a place where the idea was that we would all then decide what the best location was. And then we would build like a like rough seating and we would mm-hmm. rehearse and we would put the play on there for the rest of the school and it was so cool it was, it was honestly one of the most amazing experiences it's how it's how it gets into your bones is uh-huh. when you it's imaginative and you love it on every level 
Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a shared experience, you know. It's um I mean, writing is solitary. Uh mm-hmm. that aspect of it is for the most part unless you're collaborating with probably one other person, but um putting on a play or or a movie or a television show uh, I used to work on film crews. Uh, that's what I used to do in my previous life. as like a PA and then art department stuff. And, um, you know, there's something about 20 to 75 people getting together with a common goal. That's just great. It, it is a family. Uh, it is completely. I mean, it's, it is, it's so familial. It is such a community. I love the hierarchy of it. I love that everybody Everybody is there to do a specific job, but you all have the same goal. Um, and I love the camaraderie. I mean, I, I've got to say, I've been told off so many times, like, you know, in LA, like when I'm walking around the streets and if I see some cable, you know, coming uh-huh. down a street and I'm like, oh, and I'll like follow the cable and I'll see there's a crew yeah. and I'll be like, oh God, maybe I know someone, you know, right. and I'll little shuffle around and sure enough, like I'll know some whether it's a grip or an actor or a PA or the director or someone. Uh And I just, I love it. It feels, it feels very much like home to me. Yeah. Um, Sets. Yeah, for sure. It's like summer camp for a little while. It really is. It is. And then that's why people sort of get in trouble with sort of, with, with, behaving badly is because they think that it's like fairyland and all the rules of, you know, know. all of the societal contracts no longer exist and that you can behave with impunity. And it's just not true. But, you know, you get your hand slapped a few times. Hopefully you learn that. Right. Cinematic (laughs) immunity. I remember people talking about cinematic immunity. Cinematic. You kind of do whatever the hell you want. And it's like, no, you really can't. But (laughs) I remember like falling in love with some actor on some movie and like this wizened old costumer saying, honey, you know that that relationship does not have legs. And I was like, (laughs) what do you mean? She's like, it doesn't have legs. It's not walking off the set. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm pretty sure he's going to marry me. That's probably really hard, though. You know, awful. It's so intense to play in love. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I I, I certainly would fool myself into thinking that stuff is real. A hundred percent. It is an absolute occupational hazard falling for people mm-hmm. within the confines of a film set, it, you know, in any department. Um, sure. It really, it really is because it's, you are so... Um, I don't know exactly what it is, but there is, there's just this weird idea of like, you're, you're all creating something and mm-hmm. you're all together all the time. And there is this weird thing of the rules don't apply, but you know, they well, do. It's, you're, everyone there is doing something they're passionate about and passion begets passion. And, you know, it's yeah. just the way it works, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever wanted to direct? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I definitely do. Um, I'm actually writing a short film at the moment that I'm going to direct. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I say that. I say it so that it will happen. I say right. it like that. Uh-huh. Not just that I have a big pile of money sitting around that is, you know, cordoned off waiting for me <laughs> right. to make this film. I'm, I'm going to have to struggle to make it. But yeah, that's the sure. idea. That's great. I've watched for a really long time. Of, yeah. I've watched really amazing directors uh, direct. And I love actors. And I know about acting. So I really believe that with a strong first AD and an excellent cinematographer, mm-hmm. y- you know, um, and a modicum of, of um, humility and intelligence that um, I actually probably could do it. I'm sure you could. I mean, so much of it, I think, is, first of all, just knowing the ins and outs. And as an actor for 
so long, like you're constantly working, like, you know, the ins and outs, like the back of your hand. Yeah. And then I, I think 90% of the rest is communicating like a human being to people. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And knowing, you know, I've found also like with, you know, actors are just they're so weird. They're so weird. <laughs> and they're just full of like, you You have to understand that like actors come at everything from a point of deficit, even though to the outside world, it looks like they're just these complete glamorous, amazingly, you know, lucky, fortunate, beautiful mm -hmm. people. But they have massive fissures in them, which is why they like acting, because they get to be something other than the faulted person that right. they feel themselves to be. Of course. Um, but I've noticed that the really great directors, they understand, have compassion, don't really judge each of the different actors. They don't they don't direct in a sort of blanket. In fact, the, the bad directors I've worked with, whether they were famous or not, mm -hmm. are the ones who sort of like one size fits all direction, as opposed to really knowing what it is that is going to elicit what it is you need from that particular individual. Um, but actors are quite fragile. Um, What's it like when you have a bad director? I feel like on the show, oh, when I've talked to actors, oh. we talk about the great experiences, but what do you do when you get on a job and you realize oh my early on, like, oh shit, I'm oh stuck with one of these. You find an people. ally and you, and you find an ally. I've actually never, I've never had a terrible director where I didn't also have an amazing ally who oh, that's good. became a great friend and stayed. And, 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 and basically they would be, I, I would go, you know, Funny enough, it happened quite recently and there was another actor and I just said to him, first of all, am I nuts or is this person <laughs> like a nightmare? Right. And they were like, no, 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 you're totally on the money. Yeah, yeah, no, nightmare, nightmare. Oh, boy. And I, and I said, well, what do I do? And they really, they really helped me formulate a plan because you can't just dig your heels in and go, oh, well, I hate this. You've got to right. get the job done. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, how, how am I going to do this when this is hard? And it's interesting when you form an alliance with someone, they help you get what you need, do what you need to do, uh, trick the director. That was always, that was really fun. It was like trick them into thinking that you're doing what they're telling you to do. Yeah, yeah. And then uh -huh. do exactly what you want to do. Um, and also not react to, um, because a lot of it is insecurity and posturing. I found mm -hmm. with directors, when directors aren't great, it's because they themselves are fearful and they think they have right. to throw their weight around in order to be heard or acknowledged as in quotes powerful so yeah i would always find a friend who would help me manipulate the situation to my advantage and i imagine when you have a great director and a great cast and crew is it uh, it's still very hard work you know the hours are brutal and it's tough but when that magic is happening does it even feel like work no it's not i mean it's absolutely true there have been, you know, there have been those, I would say 3.45 in the morning is is when when your body just wants to sort of shut down. And if you've particularly <laughs> been doing sort of action-y stuff and you are exhausted, but there are these, there are those moments when there is an amazing director that you and everybody else, you sort of reconnect with how incredible it is to be there and mm. how happy you are. And it's sort of like a shot in the arm. Um, yeah, I've I've been really lucky. I, don't, I haven't really had too many crap experiences. I've had more great experiences. Um, Good. That's great. 
Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'd love to talk about a few movies in particular. Yeah. Um, in 1994, Circle of Friends really kind of launched you uh, as your first big high-profile movie, which is funny because it wasn't a very big high-profile movie, but I think it just won the hearts of so many people and it just kind of became one of those small movies that broke out and really put put you on the map in a big way. What was that like for you? Oh, and it was nuts. I mean, it was uh, it was it was amazing. Actually, it wasn't it wasn't nuts like it was nuts with Goodwill Hunting, because it it was so funny to me, and so it was all so enjoyable. I guess because it was this small movie, and like coming to Hollywood, and you know, I I gained some weight to play to play that role, and when I arrived in Hollywood, I was just sort of back to my normal. My, my normal genes, my normal self. Uh -huh. But the people in Hollywood thought that was like the craziest magic trick they'd ever seen. They were like, oh my God, <gasps> look at you. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just normal. And right. it, it hadn't really been, um, you know, my, 
gaining the weight for, for circle of friends. I mean, it wasn't really that much. I put on like what we call a couple of stone, which I mm-hmm. think is, yeah, no, actually I put on like 30 pounds and my brother would wake me up in the, uh, he would make me up in the middle of the night and make me eat a Mars bar and a bowl of pasta. <laughs> oh man, what a great <laughs> that thing. Was how I, that's how I gained Amazing. Weight. It was really fun. It was that's so. That's pretty funny. Yeah. In the middle of the night when your metabolism is just yeah. soaks all that stuff in. Yeah, and I get uh, Pat O'Connor, the director. Oh my god, he he got so angry with me once when we were filming, because like Chris O'Donnell was staying in like the fancy golf club. We were all in this brilliant, gorgeous, tumbling down sort of stone uh, bed and breakfast. Me and Saffron Burrows and Geraldine O'Rourke and um, Colin Firth and and Chris were staying in like the fancy. Uh-huh. golf club so we went there to kind of go and hang out in the spa and like use the gym and pat o'connor saw me on a treadmill and he was like get off the treadmill you've got to be fat you idiot jesus he was so annoyed with me i was like oh come oh, that's on funny you're like i also have to be healthy i just want to be healthy i just want to have fun i don't know everyone else is doing stuff i want to do something um but it was fun. It's all I remember of that time. It was fun making that film. It was fun coming out. It was fun people loving that film. It was just, it was everything good. And the fact that it has stayed, the stalwart, uh, yeah. the stalwart placeholder for so many women and so many people, mm-hmm. um, that's, 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 that's pretty great. You know, it's pretty Agreed. great that people have a big smile on their face when they talk about that movie. It's a lovely film. It's uh, I remember seeing it back then. Uh, I worked at a sort of the little alternative video store in college, and um, you know any anything indie at that point. That was when I was really just drinking all that stuff in, like foreign films, indie films, and that was that was both, I guess. But um, yeah, uh, ninety seven was a just a bit of a big year for you. Uh, in, in fact, you're the only guest I've had. I'm almost positive that has had your movies as other guest favorites, um, Big Night, oh, uh, yeah. which is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I did a, a an episode with uh, the Stranger Things guys with David Harbour and Joe Keery and Brett Gelman, and they collectively picked Big uh, Big Night. And then the uh, the comedian Hari Kondabolu. Oh, I love uh, Hari. Yeah, oh, his favorite movie him. is Gross Point Blank. He's obsessed with that movie. Yeah, he's told, we know each other over Twitter, oh, really? weirdly. Yeah, and he's told me that, and... I love these. I love those films. Like, I yeah. love Big Night and I love uh, Gross Point Blank hugely. And there are so many, there's so many stories from both those films that are either etched into, they're etched into me. Yeah. I used to, um, we filmed in, a, in, in, with Big Night before they turned the Chelsea Piers in New York into, um, this crazy huge sports yeah. emporium. There were these, um, warehouses which i i think Mm -hmm. law and order which might already been shooting they would use some of them but they were not they were just spaces like there was no ac there was basically a couple of plugs you know you could get some electricity going it was boiling hot and we shot big night in august which has you know it's its own nightmarish um uh what's the word it's it's his own nightmarish temperature, mm-hmm. uh, August in New York. Yeah. And I remember Isabella Rossellini and I were wearing these satin dresses and we were sweating so profusely <laughs> you could see these huge sweat stains. And no one knew what to do. They were like, oh, you know, what can we do? I'm so sorry putting ice cubes on the back of your neck. And then she said, somebody give me a water bottle um, with a spray. And so they gave her like this water bottle with a spray and she just like 
she sprayed down my whole dress. So it just was a shade darker. Oh. And it was just damp. And then she did the same with her dress. And then we shot the scene. And you'd never know. You couldn't oh, what, see it. like to meet someone like Isabella Rossellini? I mean, do you just freak out? Yeah. No, totally. I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you exactly what I did. She would do her own hair and makeup. Um, and I would get there. She'd get there at like 530 Mm-hmm. And I would get there um, and I would just sit in her dressing room and I would sit on the floor. And as she was putting on her makeup, she would just tell me stories. She would just tell me stories about Italy. She'd tell me stories about her mom. She'd tell me stories about her children, about her life. Like one of the most lyrical, beautiful, uh, iconic people. Mm-hmm. And the fact that at whatever I was, 24, 25, like I knew, I knew it. And I I think I said this to you yesterday. I sat, I would sometimes like pinch my wrist as I was listening to her going, this is happening. This That's is amazing. happening. And I had no way of recording anything because obviously it was, you know, it was the dark ages of well, technology. Well, but you were in the moment, like the, sort of the good old days, you know? It really was. She was, she's pure, she is pure magic. She really is. She is pure magic. She's everything that you would think that she is. She is all that. And I think, and in a lot more. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, with Gross Point Blank, uh, you'd probably get a kick out of that episode with Hari, by the way, because we just like gush and gush for an hour <laughs> and a half. But um, one thing in particular that strikes me about that movie is starting with the Martin comes back scene at the radio station. And then uh, until things get kind of serious toward the end, I feel like every interaction that you and John Cusack had, it felt like a dance. Uh, the way that you two were with each other. And it was it was a little unusual. It was slightly off kilter in how people communicate in life. Like it wasn't real, like real life that you were watching. It was this sort of little fun fairy tale dance. And I'm, I'm just curious about that. Like how much of that was improvised or how, how that chemistry worked? Oh boy. Well, you know, ke- chemistry with, a, with another actor is... <clears throat> You know, it's not something you can make up. It's e- mm-hmm. it's sort of either there or, if, or not. And Johnny and I had a, a very, very particular chemistry. I think it's why he cast me because he knew that I could, I could play in that slightly absurd place that he, that he likes to play in. Mm-hmm. And then you had these guys who he grew up with, Steve Pink and DVD Vincentis, yeah. both extraordinarily like gifted, brilliant, minds and they were writing the script and the script i remember even by the read through the script wasn't right that the script wasn't there mm-hmm. and johnny went to uh joe roth and said let us will you let us improvise will you let us improvise just let us let us let us do a couple days and then watch the dailies and see if you think we can pull it off because i don't think the script is working uh-huh. and god bless joe roth he said yeah give it a try so we would, we would like have the scene. Someone would be on the computer. We'd be in some whatever hotel room in Pasadena, and someone would be on the computer, and everyone would just be throwing out ideas and improvising mm-hmm. and sort of kicking around what the shape of this scene would be. Like when he comes to the radio station, it was like, okay, I he comes to the radio my station. Hand. Yeah, all did of, you make so, that up? The, the whole, <laughs> all of it. I mean, so much of it was improvised. It's it's hard to like the the. The flying scene, the scene when he comes uh-huh. and Johnny w- was saying, 
we need something to show that they have this history, but it can't just be like exposition. It has to be something that shows that they've like known each other. Mm. And I said, my dad used to do this airplane thing with me. Like whenever he'd come back from a trip, we do this thing. And I guess it was a way of us sort of rebonding. And mm-hmm. I was like, let's do that. And he was like, okay, well, let's do that. So it was, it was best idea wins. And what's the funniest? And so much. I'd love to, I'd love to, I don't think I haven't got an, an original script of Gross Point Blank anymore, but I bet you DV or Steve or Johnny might do. Um, but I'd love to, I'd love to A and B it. I'd love to look sure. at the script and then see what we actually did. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with Good Bull Hunting, actually. That, um, you know, I think Matt and Ben have been uh, uh, extremely vocal about that, about the scenes that were improvised and the scenes that were written as. And it's kind of interesting to, I always love, I love seeing it because I know what we did. I know what we created on the day. Right. And, uh, um, um, and that's, that's not to say that obviously stuff that's written isn't beautiful and genius too, but sometimes there's this rare magic in what you improvise. If you're all in lockstep, you know, with each other and really listening and really, uh, and really in the moment of telling that story. Right. And it was such a fun story to tell in Gross Point Blank. Yeah. Hi, shake my hand. There's something about that line that always gets me. It was just so funny because there's so much tension in that scene because you don't know, you don't fully know what happened yet. No. And it's hi, shake my hand and then the kiss. And then the way you guys sort of circle each other through that movie, it's it's weird. It's like you take turns like predator and prey and like yeah. It's so fun. It's so playful. I know. I, I know it is. It is it is incredibly playful. And that is that is what I remember. I remember playing playing with John through the whole of that film. Mm-hmm. Like it was just this amazing game. And, you know, to be completely honest, I was absolutely head over heels in love with him. Oh really? Um oh my God. Just gone. Just completely completely and utterly. And that that in itself has like a kinetic uh-huh. energy of when you're just, you, you want to be around someone all the time and you are around them all the time. And then you get to create and play and they're kind of as mad as you are mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of their creativity. And it was just, it was fun. I mean, there were crashes and burns as well as there always are with anything that, you know, um, kind of burns incandescently it mm-hmm. has to it has to kind of explode at some point but boy it was it was one of the greatest times um of my life for sure that's that's amazing um you mentioned a little movie called goodwill hunting uh just uh, just a small little <laughs> yeah now legendary iconic film um i want to know some about gus van zant for sure because he's one of my favorite directors but i'm also curious just about i mean that movie exploded and was nominated for everything you were nominated for an oscar and Mm -hmm. it's one of those movies now that forever it's going to be included in montage clips of like the great movies of hollywood um what's it like to be in one of those movies it's extraordinary i mean now having you know had a whole career which is quite hard to do to kind of keep it going as an actor to I really, I realized the significance of, of being in a, a film that is as beloved and will carry on being beloved, uh, like a timeless movie. Yeah, like it's pretty, whatever. it's, it's pretty rare. Like you can, you can go through a whole wonderful career and, and not make a film like that. Um, yep. it was, 
I love the innocence. I love remembering the innocence of that film because, you know, Matt and Ben were just two incredibly intelligent, ambitious young writers mm-hmm. um, and actors. And they wanted to, they actually, I would say that they were more writers. Like they, they wrote so that they could act. They wrote so they could be in that movie um, because there was lots of talk of other actors, you know, getting lots of money to make the film, but it had mm-hmm. to be, you know, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. And they were like, no, you know, we want to do this. And they figured it out. It's hard to remember back then when they weren't the biggest deal in the world. I know. But, you know, you were you were all just, you know, kids in your mid-20s. Yeah. Being shepherded along. And Gus Van Zandt is so great with with young actors. Um, what, what's he like as a, as a human? He's a... He is a mysterious creature, Gus. Um, he really is. He is um, incredibly warm and soulful. Um, and yeah, mysterious. There's something very Sphinx-like about Gus. But when he's directing you, um, it's so amazingly pure. And he doesn't say very much, but what he says is so pertinent to what you're doing and will be the thing that unlocks what is needed in that moment. So he's he's quiet, but absolutely intent. And I remember he's the only director I ever worked with who his face would be right by the camera. He oh, was yeah. he was never behind a monitor or, or or maybe it was just in the big scenes. I, I just always remember his face being right there. He was watching the scene as it was playing out mm-hmm. as opposed to watching it through a lens. Um, and maybe it's because he trusted Jean-Yves Escoffier, who was uh, the the so sadly now deceased um, cinematographer, who and he also was the cameraman. Mm. Maybe he trusted him and he was like, if I'm getting it emotionally from the side of the camera, I know Jean-Yves is getting it. Um, but there was a beautiful symbiosis on that film between all departments. And it was magical. You know, the cool thing was, so hilariously, Miramax were making, they were making a, uh, Jackie Brown at the same mm-hmm. time and like everything was all about Jackie Brown with Jackie Brown this and Jackie Brown that and like right. it's all about Tarantino it's all about this whole thing so we were just like, left alone there was nobody like hassling us we were just made we just went on and made this movie Matt and Ben just worked so hard because they were you know all hours writing rewriting you know they were just in it and we didn't have anyone breathing down our neck so we just Gus got to make exactly the movie that he and Matt and Ben wanted to make um, because, you know, the tigers were looking at other meat. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a movie that you just invest so much in as a viewer uh, emotionally. Um, Not only just the, the stuff with, uh, with Will and his just, you know, heartbreaking story and what he's going through, but then the, the the love story aspect of it is, uh, I think just it's so brutal to watch those scenes still all these years later when you're getting your heart broken. Um, it's it's just a collective like <laughs> a collective heartbreak for the audience, too. It's just so real and just awful. It's so it is. It's such a um, God. And by the way, that that scene, we did that scene in the in the in the audition. And I, I don't think Matt and Ben would mind my saying, but they were when I went to audition for this movie, it was at the Mercer Hotel in New York and, mm-hmm. and I, I got there, you know, ready and on time and stoked. And 
poor Gus was like, the, the guys didn't show up. And like, I was stuck there for literally like an hour. And Gus is so quiet and he's so not a small talker. And, you know, it was so awkward. And I just, <laughs> could, I just didn't know what to do. And I just sat there and eventually they showed up and they were so apologetic. And, you know, they were really hungover. Ah. They were really hungover and they, you know, and we, we launched into the, um, the fight scene. Mm-hmm. And um, we got into it and then Matt stopped it and he was like, oh my God, I, I am so sorry. Like, you are so prepared, Minnie, and I am so not prepared. Can we just start again? Wow. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, take your time, take your time. But that scene, I believe, that was written. That never changed from from the time that, that he first wrote that. Oh, wow. That scene was intact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so it's so beautiful. It's a... It's a it's a masterful scene, and it's a it's a really difficult scene. Any scene that involves you starting in a place of real complicity and sweetness, mm-hmm. and ends up in a place of of abject misery. Um, I mean, it's catnip for an actor, but it's the, yeah. I didn't realize how hard it was at the time. I'm glad I didn't realize how hard that is to do. When that kind of a scene is, you know, it's coming and just sort of there. Uh, is is it just sort of always in the back of your head, like three more days until the big no, scene? Not with you know what now, but then, then I was raring to go every second of the day. I would wake up ready. Mm-hmm. I was just like, "What do we got?" Oh, the, I, I I ate it for breakfast. I loved it so hard. Now I do that thing of going, "Oh my god." Three days until I got to do that. Okay, all right. What am I going to do? <laughs> all right. Do I know it well enough? All right. All right. All right. You know. But but then. You just like I don't know. This is like a dolphin quality when you're young and you're just yeah. passionate about what you do, and it's just play. It's just play. It's all play, and that was the way. I know. I know now how hard Matt and Ben were working. Like sort of after we'd finished shooting, how hard they were working on the script. That they were, and so many hours and such extraordinary performances. But when we were on set, it was just playtime. You know, amazing. It's a magical movie. Well, I'm very glad you like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm waiting. I can't believe no one has picked that movie yet as their movie crush. I'm sure it'll happen at some point, which is kind of one of the fun things. Like, who is going to pick what movie? Um, I bet. I bet. Yeah. I'm, um, it's interesting. It's quite. It's. It says so much about a person in the films that they love. It's my favorite. Well, I mean, the conversations are my favorite part, but it's my second favorite part of doing this show. Is hearing from someone that I really love and admire and like, oh my God, what's their movie going to be? What's their movie going to be? <laughs> and it's almost always something I love too, which is which is kind of fun. Um, but before we get into your movie, Tootsie, great choice. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. Uh, I'm not sure how much you're allowed to talk about yet, but... Um, In the spirit of creative diversification, I have a podcast that iHeart is producing and it's going to be out soon. It is called Mini Questions, and the title really reveals what it's about. And it is really as it goes as shallow or as deep as the as the guest decides. Um, but I'm I'm I love talking to people, and um, I'm interested in people in all different kinds of people. And I think this podcast, rather than just being conversations with famous friends is uh, a real examination of how 
how people move through the world, mm-hmm. how they deal with it. Well, you had me on, so it's definitely not conversations with famous friends. <laughs> oh, you're my, you're my famous friend, Chuck. <clears throat> what, are you kidding me? Well, it was a lot of fun, and I can't wait to hear who else is going to be on and hear some of these conversations. I feel like we did have a really good conversation, and you're very good at talking to people. It's uh, I was super excited about it because I'm such a fan of yours, and my wife is too. And we, um, after it, she was like, well, what was it like? And I was like, she was lovely, and it was a great conversation from Jump. You know, and, oh, that's uh, cool. You just have a very welcoming uh, spirit, and I think that's uh, that's the key to a show like that. That's so nice. Thank you. I mean, really, coming from you as a kind of podcasting guru, yes, you are. <laughs> um, that's that's praise indeed. Well, I can't wait, uh, and we'll let everyone know when it officially launches, and and I've got some other promotional stuff planned to get Thank the word you. out. Uh, but your movie crush, let's get on to Tootsie uh, from 1982, uh, the second highest grossing movie of 1982 <laughs> behind E.T. No uh, way. Nine Oscar nominations. Uh, Jessica Lange won Best Supporting Actress um, in competition against Terry Garr, uh, who I just miss and love so much. It's just so heartbreaking. Oh, my God. She is... She is one of the greatest things to ever happen to the screen. Like, no doubt. She really is one of my all-time favorite actresses. She is. Um, she's so great in this movie. Uh, she, it's like peak Terry Garness. It, uh, it is. <laughs> it character. is. It is. It is undiluted Terry Gar. And just just everything. The the neurosis of what she what she built into what she built into a character that could have just been a device. We needed a device to get Michael to go and audition for this part. And mm-hmm. it, it could have been, it could have been something way more two dimensional, but she's, God, she is pure magic. What's your history with this movie? Did you see uh, it when you were a kid? Yeah. My, my, my history with this movie is that we were, we were um like, where I I grew up, where my dad lived, my dad lived in the Caribbean, uh, growing up, and we like had this this VCR, and he had seven movies, mm-hmm. like that was it, yeah. and like so the Sound of Music played at the drive-in for a solid fourteen weeks, uh-huh. um, one year, so I saw that a lot, and then, you know, he had some like really grim spy shit, and then Tootsie was one of these movies, and I watched it so many times. I watched it and I watched it and I watched it and I, I watched it so many times that I've, I feel like I've had full blown relationships with every single character in that movie. Like I, <laughs> I'll watch it and I'll, I'll be like, Oh, who am I going to be in love with today? Oh, it's Jessica Lang. Oh, it's a Jessica Lang watch. Ooh, who am I in love with today? Oh, it's, oh, it's Sidney Pollock. I'm in love with Sydney Pollock oh, God, today. He's so good. Michael, well, he Michael, I told you to get help. <laughs> he's, He's, I think, one of the more underrated directors. I, I think agree. he, I mean, it's not like people don't love Sidney Pollock films, but I never hear his name mentioned in the conversation of great directors. I agree. And he's such a great actor between this and Husbands and Wives. No, he's brilliant. And I think that people, people know that. I, I, it's so interesting to me, like, why he was also beloved in Hollywood. Like, yeah. he was 
he was so kind to me whenever whenever I met him. He, he has that same thing that like Jimmy Burrows has. Oh yeah, I oh. met him. Oh yeah, no, I um, yeah, no, I I loved him. Kind, funny, again, exactly as you would imagine. Like exactly as you would imagine, like the someone that an icon like that to be. But anyway, I'm. I, I've watched that movie an enormous amount. Probably I was inappropriately young when I watched it. Um, but it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, and it's, and it's weird because I don't really love big commercial movies for the most part. Yeah. Like I'm still pissed that Titanic beat Goodwill Hunting. Trust me. I'm, I may <laughs> never get over it. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, Bob. Oh, hold on. Chuck, this is terrible. That's hold all right. On. Can so you, you hold on out. one second? I'm single parenting so hard. I'm so sorry. I might have to leave all that in. That's so great. <laughs> oh Bob, the dog appearance. wanted to kill, literally wanted to kill the, the delivery guy. Oh my God. I mean, he really... Anyway, no, my my one dog is the biggest barker at anything that moves outside uh, as a Sheltie. So don't worry about hey, it. Hey, Bobby, come in, come in, come here, sweet pea, come here, sweet boy, come in, come here, come here, Kuja, come here, darling, come in. All right, come here. I know. Just come here. Just relax. All right. All That's right. That's wonderful. There's Bob. All right. There's Bob. Uh, it's funny though that you mentioned seeing Tootsie too young. I w- I was one of those kids too that um was just obsessive about HBO when we got HBO when I was oh, 12 or whatever. Yeah. And this was a heavy HBO rotational. Like I was, it's a very, an, not an adult movie in that it, there's anything too salacious, but it's just not like a movie for kids. It's, it tackles sexism in the movie industry. And it's not a movie that like a 12 year old should love, but no, I did. I loved it I'm so gl- much. I'm glad you loved it. I was right there loving it also. I mean, I, I still, I still, you know, I watched it again the other day. Like I've, I, I, I watch it all the time. I have to say, it's kind of like a comfort movie, and I don't have too many of those. Mm-hmm. But it's so funny because I was thinking about it through the lens of like it's become problematic now. And the idea of like a dude going and stealing a job from a woman. Yeah, you couldn't make this movie today, probably. No, thank God, there's an evolution. But you can also appreciate things in the vacuum of that of that moment um, for all these other reasons. I mean. Bill Murray eating lemons, Bill Murray eating <laughs> celery. Like I I still sometimes I think my I wonder if that was just like someone was like, Hey Bill, you know what are you gonna do in the scene? He's like, nah, I'm just gonna eat a lemon. I'll just eat a lemon. I'm just gonna eat a lemon through this one, Dustin. And that's that party what he does. scene when he's uh sitting there just sort of holding court With and the he has the line, uh, I wish I had a theater that was only open when it rained. <laughs> And then later, everyone's gone, but he's still in that same spot. Like he hasn't moved from the, from the, the scene at the island. I, I love him, and I love it when when Dustin Hoffman, when Dustin Hoffman wakes him up when he's on his first morning at work, and Bill Murray rolls over and he goes, "Mom." Yeah. <laughs> I think he was uncredited. I think he insisted on being uncredited in this movie. If I'm not mistaken, I remember hearing, I meant to look it up, but I remember hearing a story about that. Like he's not on listed on the poster or anything. I think he very much did it as sort of a 
just a fun favor. It, um, it sure feels like it was all improvised yeah. and that he just showed up on set one day and they were right. like, oh, come on, just be in the scene. <laughs> yeah, you're here now. You it know. has an impact on the movie. He's not in very much of it. If you look at actual like minutes, screen time minutes. But it's Bill Murray. He's just so funny. <laughs> I don't, when Bill Murray says, I just don't want to sit around pretending I'm not home because you're not that kind of girl. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's so, he's really annoyed about it. He's like, no, I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm going to my girlfriend's house. Like he's just their whole like girlfriend banter. Like when Dustin Hoffman, when Michael's getting ready for, in quotes, his date with yeah. Julie, <laughs> where he's like just going over to run lines uh-huh. and they're sitting around checking out his outfits. Uh-huh. Like, I love Bill Murray as the girlfriend. Um, and Michael, I mean, he's all like, you know, I know this may sound silly, but I just, you know, I just, I just want to look pretty for her. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great line. And I it's love absurd. Dustin Hoffman so much. It was so disappointing when he was kind of outed as doing some uh, inappropriate things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but this 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 dovetails right into exactly what we were just saying about you know problematic stuff in movies yeah. that we love. They can go that is unutterably wrong and awful and and ew. And I can also look back at 1982 and mm-hmm. and be in love with Jessica Lange in this movie and and Terry Gar and Bill Murray. Right. It's so funny. It's because like actors weren't people in 1982 when I was watching movies age 12. They were mm-hmm. they were they were the characters in the movie. So yeah. I feel like I have a I have a relationship with Michael and with Julie and um I know. It was so much fun watching it the other night. I've seen this movie so many times, but it had been a long time and it really struck me how many of these um how much of the humor I got as an adult that I must have flown over my head as a kid. And and it is a movie that actually does say some very real things about sexism. It does. Um, it's it's it tackles it in a sort of very eighties way, I guess. But um, yeah, it is for, for a movie this mainstream. I think to sort of tackle sexism head on in a mainstream number two grossing comedy was uh, was unusual for the time. I think. I suppose it's gutting that it had to be a man playing a woman to do it. You know when Dorothy swats the director over the head. Mm-hmm. Um, you want some gross caricature of a woman? Shame on you, you macho shithead. Yeah. You know, and she kind of punches him. <laughs> um, it's it, you know, what gets her the role. And um, it, I don't know, I find it, I find it interesting to like, I carry it with me because I loved it so much when I was little in lieu of not really having anything else to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it now because it brings up questions that, I like to ask, which is, you know, how much how much have we changed? How much has changed? I think it's up to the individual to decide uh, whether they can separate the art from the artist. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you use paper, you're a human. 
But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... We are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. The Last Detail, The King of Comedy, and Tootsie are my three favorite films. Wow, and I did tell De Niro... I, the, the King of Comedy. Uh-huh. And like he kind of looked at me kind of blankly and he was like, really, really? That's your favorite? And I was like, <laughs> oh, Christ. Yeah. Oh, now we've got to be in a scene together. Okay. Oh, boy. That's a I, great I, movie, though. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think we should talk a little about the rest of the cast because it's just a murderer's row. Um, Dabney Coleman... Oh, Dabney Coleman. I mean, he's literally a walking epaulette. He's just a revolting safari suit of a dude. I hate him so hard in this movie, and he's so genius, obviously. But I know. Um, I want to know what he's like, because between this and 9 to 5, he really cornered the market on on 80s. Uh, just bad the, dudes. That guy, yeah, those bad dudes. There's something about, yeah, it's the way that he... It is just that extraordinary dismissiveness that he has and just the the endless kind of patting Jessica Lang on the bottom as she's getting into cars and just, you know, um uh, his his it's 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 so it's so great. Like his his comeuppance, I mean, such as it is, is so great. Um yeah. his ridiculous vindication at the end in the Sabbath when, you know, Michael Dorsey reveals that he's not Dorothy, mm-hmm. but her brother. And he's like, I knew there was something about her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she didn't like him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, every moment where he goes off book. Um, oh, yeah. It's just so brilliant because the second it happens, it cuts to the control room and everyone's just like, oh, God, here we go. It's like the one thing you can't do on a soap opera is improvise, I would think. Like it's all about like just nailing those lines as fast as possible 
because they shoot so much in a day. Um, and every time he just starts to go off, it's just so wonderful. The greatest, and I do it. I actually do it on every set I think I've ever been on. When um, I hear the director say, uh, hey, camera, can you pull back? Um, and then I go, how far? And the camera goes, <laughs> how do you feel about Cleveland? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it's, that's one of my, that's really one of my favorite, maybe my favorite line in a movie ever. Uh, one of my favorite moments, and this is a Terry Gar moment that is so subtle. And I love these moments in movies where an actor does this little choice that is so easy to overlook. And I, I know you probably recognize this part was right after they have sex. She's in bed, covered up with a sheet. And she, she, looks says, under, when she looks under the covers. She says sex changes things. And <laughs> sex she just changes things under when she the looks covers under. at her parts. She does. Sort of gives she a little sort of knowing look. look. <laughs> well, but then she also looks kind of, she just looks kind of like disappointed. She just looks down. It's like, oh yeah, it's all still the same. It's so it's all still funny. There. It's such she's, a great little choice. She's a she's a master. Like she is, she is a master, and it is stuff like that. That is the that is what differentiates a a good actor from a genius actor. It's stuff like that. Yeah. It's it is. It's 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 that whole incredibly fast paced monologue when she's like, you know. Are you going to call me tomorrow? Because, you know, if you're not going to call me, I'd just like you to tell me now so I can have my pain now. Because if you don't call me tomorrow, then I'm going to have you not calling me and I'm going to have my pain. So I want to have my pain now. Yeah. And it's, she's, she's, she's heaven. There's, I don't know, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of discovery. And while he's not ostensibly funny, what I like about, about Michael Dorsey is that he's not funny. He isn't, he's an arrogant, self-regarding actor. Yeah. And every and Dustin Hoffman does allow everybody around him to be funny, um, and, but I I love the I love the moments. What's that line when he says, um, "I think Dorothy's smarter than I am"? Like I love I love yeah. the sort of discovery of his humanity that this woman, this created woman, is teaching him. Yeah, but the second part of that line is a lot to unpack. He says, "I just wish she was prettier." I just wish she was prettier. I mean, that's there's a lot going on in that I quick, know. quick little line, you know. I mean, especially but, for 1982. Well, do you know what? There's also that other line, and I think it's where I really, because I think in a completely different way. This is why it was so hard for me when they were both nominated, because mm -hmm. I think Jessica Lang is. It's so hard to be that beautiful and be as extraordinarily gifted as she mm -hmm. is. By the way. There are there are lots of actresses who are incredibly beautiful, and you actually think they're better actresses than they are because mm -hmm. you're so beguiled by how beautiful they are. Right. And then there's a few who, you know, like a Margot Robbie, they are absolutely mm -hmm. you can't look away stunning, and they are also profoundly gifted actresses. Yeah. But when Jessica Lang says, you know, um, don't you find it being hard? Don't you find it hard being a woman in the eighties? And there's something so. There's something so sad and remote and she she so could have just been setting up, you know, some gag for Dustin Hoffman because he's not a woman. But there it 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 touches me so deeply, her profound sadness. You know, this woman yeah. who drinks too much, you know, a single mother who understands that when she gets old, there's not gonna be a whole lot left for her and she's dab the Dabney Colbins of the world are always sort of gonna be the guys that win. Like it's she seems profoundly to it. sad. Yeah. Yeah, um, like th this is uh, sort of her lot in life. 
she's in this great apartment. I mean, it's very funny. It's very 80s when you look at that apartment now, but you know, this big New York apartment and she seems so resigned to, yeah, like you were saying, have to work for this dick. But then when you see her laughing on set, like, and I'm sure it looked like it sure looked real to me mm-hmm. when Michael's doing that whole bit about giving every nurse a cattle prod to right. zap Dr. Brewster <laughs> in the bazoolies. And she starts, Jessica Lange starts laughing and she's covering her mouth and she's, she's really laughing. And it's just, it's magical because you see who this, you see who that woman Julie is, like all the fun, all of uh-huh. this and I, I love that with characters where you don't have to have a whole scene about this whole other world that they live in, but you just pull back the curtain long enough to see that it's in there. And also ha- trusting that people will catch that and that you don't have to belabor that point. Like That is mastery for yeah. me as well. Yeah, I think they also played the Charles Durning stuff, um, who's just so great. Yeah, um, and everything. What always. a legend, but... Yeah. I think they played that just right. Like they could have gone so further over the top. Totally. Slapstick with, you know, him getting physical with her or with him, I guess. It's beautifully hand. Like when he get when he sits when he sits in the, the swing seat and it just goes <laughs> <laughs> and they're both just back too far. Like it's yeah. that those kind of physical gags, like that stuff, it's brilliant. Yeah, but I just it. just enough of it though, you know. Like they yeah, had these totally. little moments, but it wasn't, he, he could have gone in the wrong direction. I think Sidney Pollack deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, one of my other favorite scenes is the Russian tea room scene. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like it's my, we, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking for the, I'm looking for the Russian tea room. Well, this is the Russian tea room. Yeah. Oh, I've missed you. Oh, Michael, Michael, I told you to get help. And his voice goes so low and he's goes like, so it's, low. it's Michael. No, it's Michael. It's Michael. <laughs> Jesus, Michael! I told you to see a therapist. My, Pollock I, plays annoyed and angry better than like anyone in the business. It, it, I think it's so brilliant when he's just like picking lint off his shoulder and putting uh-huh. it, Michael putting his arm around him when those guys come up to the table. And I'm like, oh my god, it's, it's just great. But it's also so agency how brilliant Sidney Pollock is when Michael is then desperate to get out, and that whole scene where he's like, "You got to get me out," and he was like. I can't get you out. You're making a lot of money. Like it's like the the, yeah. the whole idea is like, I, I I can't get you out. Like it's, I love how 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 quickly he and seamlessly he's like, oh, this is a hit. This is making shitloads of money. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, it's it's actually one of the better movies about the industry, and you don't really think of it that way. You think of Tootsie as like the movie about Dustin Hoffman playing a woman. You don't put it up there with like the player or Living in Oblivion and all these movies about making movies. But it's really one of the, the better movies, I think, about the industry. Oh, 100%. Like, that's de- definitely, like, having grown up with this film, I now, I place it firmly in the in the canon of, of movies that you just that you just talked about. I mean, it's about um, acting in a lot of ways. It's, it's so much about acting. I mean, those scenes at the beginning, I watch those a lot now. You know, over under the credits, when he's, uh-huh. when he's directing the, whatever the acting classes that he gives. I love yeah. those scenes. Yeah, those I are love great. watching him like, because, because I think he's just, I think that's just him. I don't think that's not him being Michael Dorsey. I think that's mm-hmm. just him, Dustin Hoffman, looking at a scene and like talking about right. it and they just shot it. I mean, like, theater crowd. Yeah. 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 Uh, and he's just such a pain in the ass. He's that such a pain in the ass, the tomato. Talks, yeah. He can't, <laughs> no one will work with you. <laughs> No one will work with you. It's like, <laughs> love it. a tomato doesn't have logic. It can't move. 
that Sydney Pollock screaming that. He's like, that's what I said. If it doesn't have legs, then how could he sit down? He's so exasperated. Those scenes, I mean, their scenes together are just some of the best stuff in the whole movie. And that's a yeah. movie like with Bill Murray, like doing his thing too. Everything about it is great. The the I think how it all spins together in that third act, it's just like an uh, it just it, it gains all this momentum in that third act because he has to deal with Sandy, he has yeah. to deal with Jessica Lang, he has to deal with Jessica Lang's dad, he has to uh, it, it, like all of these things kind of come crashing down all at once. It's it's sort of like the best farce. It's such a it, that's why it's just such a brilliantly written film because like you know you. You look, it's so lean and the structure is just exactly as you, it is written in the books. And in a way, for me, that's what, even though they're not typically films that I love that you could read Save the Cat and you would understand the structure of Tootsie. But what, what makes it so genius is the fact that it does adhere to this, like, apparent, the structure that you apparently can't ever move away from and Uh it does it so perfectly. And that by that third act where you have all of these things... And it's so difficult to end that film. And I got to tell you, like, I, I'm, I feel hopeful. I feel glad. I feel that scene at the end in the street is, is totally right. Yeah. I mean, I would have maybe liked a a little bit long. I would have liked to hear her say a little bit more, but Uh maybe by that point you, you get it. And when she says, I miss Dorothy. Yeah. You really feel that that's really everything. She like she finally had a friend. She had a mother. She had a confidant. And that's gone from her. And when he says she's right here, I believe him. It's a complicated scene to play. And it's yeah. a movie I think could have ended a number of different ways and still worked. Um, and it makes me oh, wonder. Tell me, if, your, uh, tell me your alt ending. Well, I mean, she doesn't smile and walk down the street with him. She she shuns him for for tricking. I mean, of course, you can't end a Hollywood movie like that. That's not. I was going to say that's like that's like the the you know. I'm trying to think. That's the Gus Van Sant version. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, certainly it could. As as far as Hollywood endings go, this is sort of it. It could have ended with him loving Sandy, although he wasn't right. They weren't right for each other. As much as I hate to say it. No, no, not at all. But I don't know if he's right for. Jessica Lang, either. No, he's totally selfish. I mean, he's, I, I don't think he deserves, which is why I'm glad that he doesn't like unilaterally get her. Like, I, right. I always like to think that they would become friends and then she is would that what learn. Happens? I think what I always imagined was uh-huh. they would become friends and then she would learn that you could actually, you know, have a good relationship with a man and then she would go and marry like a grown up. Neither Dabney Coleman or him. No, no, neither of those idiots. No. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Uh, And, you know, you don't, they very subtly sort of indicate that he and Sandy work out okay because her name is listed on the playbill on the sign or whatever. So they don't need to like tie that up with the prettiest bow. I think I love the way they did that. They're like, clearly they're going to be pals because they're acting together and their friends play. Exactly. And that that was the whole point of like making that money in the first place was just to put on the play so they could they could be actors. Yeah. You know, which is and and actors do actors do get over stuff. Yeah. I think you you do. You have to. Uh, I think the last thing I want to talk about maybe is just that the reveal scene. It's um, it it felt (laughs) 
the other night when we were watching it, it felt almost like a sports movie, how it was the tension and it was culminating in this big thing because <laughs> they had to go live. It was such a great setup. You know that, you know, it's going to go down. It almost felt like the ending of The Karate Kid or Rocky or something. Yeah, totally. And also when that, that amazing moment where Michael stumbles and he doesn't have it and you cut to the booth uh-huh. and they're like, they're, everyone is just like on the edge of the sea and he just, he doesn't know what the story of what is going to go. And then this yeah. collective kind of sigh when he carries on, even though it's literally like the nuclear codes like stop for a minute and then yeah. they carried on. I mean, when he reveals it, I mean, I've seen that movie so many times. And Emily and I watched it the other night and we're, it was uproarious laughter in our bedroom watching that <laughs> when he finally rips it off and the, and everyone's expression. It was just, I knew it was coming. I've seen it a dozen times and we were dying. We were rolling on the floor laughing. It was so great and so funny. Well, I'll be. I know. it's it's. Um, you know what I always found? I found really weird and I've never... I've never made peace with it. With it is is when Jessica Lang goes over to him and she punches him in the stomach. It, was, it should have it's, been a slap, right? It's super weird. She should have <laughs> fucking decked him. Like we said it was the same so thing. weird. I don't get it. It's like what I don't understand that choice. I've never understood that choice, and I yeah. still don't understand it. No, it's, it's so funny that you said that because we said the exact same thing. And in fact, when she came up to him, I said, "Here comes the slap." Yeah, or like punching him and like the full yeah. teeth coming out of his mouth. Like I would have taken, I would have taken any version that wasn't just punch. duffing him in the gut. <laughs> like it it just weird. Felt... Emily thought it might have been in the balls. I was like, no, I think it was a, a stomach punch. Yeah, it was definite. Oh, that's good. I never thought about that. It, it, I've always thought it was a stomach punch. I think it is. I think kneeing him in the balls could have been yeah. an acceptable number two to punching him. She really should have punched him. Yeah. That's actually the only thing that I would change about that whole movie. I agree. Hmm. Yeah, that was the only sort of weird choice. I wonder what the uh, what the provenance is of that. I don't know. I don't have any idea. Um, great movie. I mean, I feel like we covered it. How do you feel? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm. It's so funny. And talking about it, I just am wondering how many people are going to be like. That's a really sexist movie. I I don't think you should be liking that movie, Mini Driver. God, you're a bad feminist. Bad feminist. No, you're a great feminist, and it's a great movie. <laughs> and if you look at it in the lens of 1982, they were actually saying a lot about feminism. And I think it was trying. I think it was really it, trying it was. To, to 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 do something. I just don't think that we we just weren't there yet. We just it weren't. may have been the best 1982 could do. Yeah, man. Look, if if ET is your other, not that ET isn't a great movie, but uh-huh. like if that's the fair that people are really like looking at going, right. then that was some cinema verite, like right. compared to like the alien in the basket across the moon. Yeah. Such a good movie. Uh, I was so glad to get to watch it again. And I uh, appreciate you coming on. It's very kind of you to spend so much time. Thank you very much. I apologize for my barking dog, but um, I love it. Very We're going nice to leave some of that in. I think everyone needs to hear Bob's roar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, man. All right, Chuck. Cheers. Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown, edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson, and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.